三更三，往南来哟。娘问女儿啦，你往啥子死了哎？我往槐花儿娘我女儿啦，娘我女儿啦，你往啥子死了哎？我往槐花水几时开哟？春眠。不觉晓，处处闻啼鸟。夜来风雨声，花落知多少。Thank you very much, Rose. Thank you, Bill. Welcome to the Counter Vortex with、uh, your host, Bill Weinberg, and today we are extremely honored to be joined. By、uh, Rose Tang,、uh, activist, writer, journalist, scholar, musician, singer, woman of many talents. A <laughs> scholar, sure, I'll take it. <laughs> well, you I used, used to be a professor. Exactly,、Tang. that's what I meant. Exactly. Yeah, thanks. Where, where did you teach? Princeton University. Princeton University. That definitely counts as being a scholar. <laughs> <clears throat> And、uh, tell us about the music that we were just、um, hearing, Rose. You were opening with a Sichuanese folk song. Mm-hmm. Uh, the folk song is called "Huai Huai Huai Kai." I said it. I sang it in Sichuanese.、Uh, my mom taught me the song.、Uh, she's an artist. She but she sings a lot of folk songs.、Uh, it's about a young woman standing outside her house, waiting for her man to show up, and the mother asks the daughter,、uh, "What are you looking at?" And the daughter says, "I'm looking at the flowers blooming on the tree." Yeah, so it's a pretty famous Sichuan folk song, which has not been、uh, raped by the Chinese propaganda、uh, music or media,、uh, because usually what they do is to take the melody of the、uh, folk songs and、uh, then put some、uh, yucky. Lyrics, propaganda stuff,、uh, and、uh, then completely change them. I mean, by raping them. Yeah. Or is this song is、uh, has been recorded or、uh, or not? It's just kind of still.、Um, uh... The the song is a repertoire for, of you know, some Chinese folk singers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, when I last looked it up on YouTube, I saw like you know singers singing. With a huge orchestra, we're talking about a full symphony orchestra uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, with uh-huh. the Western instruments, hmm, hmm.、Uh, and but they sang it in Mandarin,、uh-huh. and just loses the, the whole. All right,、flavor. so Sichuanese is a is a separate language. 
I would like to think so, even though it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scripture is pretty much the same. We yeah. use the same characters. Right. It's just like Cantonese too. Is Cantonese a dialect or language? It's I, very political, I believe, isn't it? Yes, yeah, a political question. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. But yeah, so, uh, I believe most scholars today would consider it a separate language. Thank you so much, yeah. because I really want to uh, uh, raise awareness of the identity of uh, Sichuanese. I don't even call myself Chinese. I call myself a Mongol from Sichuan. I grew up in Sichuan, and uh, Sichuanese culture, the music, the arts, uh, even we have our own opera, Sichuan opera, are very, very unique and very different mm-hmm. from other parts well, of Well, the Mongols China. are not from Sichuan, so you're the product of a mixed marriage, so to speak? As I am, I'm Invasion, Jewish and Italian. Conquering China. <laughs> China has always been part of the Mongol Empire. Uh, yeah, the ancestors, my ancestors from my mother's side, they originally they were from Russia. What well, used to be part of the Mongol Empire, the Golden Horde Kingdom. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. In the Ural mm-hmm. Mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, I only discovered it a few years ago when I was doing interviews for my book by interviewing uh, my mother's side of the relatives, uh, most of them live in Guizhou, uh, and uh, they they uh, they kept this genealogy records uh, during the Cultural Revolution. Uh, Mao Zedong, uh, one of his uh, policies was postjiu, uh, destroy the four old items, uh, uh, you know, anything old. Uh, including old photos mm-hmm. and all the genealogy records. Mm. And the great aunt uh, in my mother's uh, family uh, was very stubborn. She risked, risked her life by uh, or uh, persecution by sewing a copy of the woodblock printed ancient genealogy records from hundreds of year, years ago in the, inside a prayer mat. Without that, I wouldn't have known I'm part Mongol. Wow. And, but unfortunately, my father's side, they burned their genealogy mm. records, so I don't mm. know where they're from, even though they look really weird. Now, when you say they you did, who, who is the they in question? Who burnt the records? Themselves, uh, my grandparents. Uh, my... Under pressure from the... Uh... Authorities or the Red Guards? Well, or? imagine my grandparents. Uh, my my grandfather was a calligrapher, and he was working for the Sichuan Opera uh, Research Institute and uh, troupe. Uh, he's a well known, well known dude, uh, and he was also a KMT Air Force captain. Oh, really? So a lot of so-called crimes on him already. So his home, his house was ransacked uh, by Red Guards many mm, times. Mm, so they burned all the old photos and mm, any, anything okay, and this, to do with this the past. this was in Sichuan? In Chengdu, mm-hmm. yeah. In uh, so I, yeah. I never know my grandparents on both sides what how, how they looked when they were young, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It all happens to a lot of almost every Chinese okay, of my generation. And then the poem. The poem is from, it's a famous uh, poem from uh, the Tang Dynasty. Uh, it's about spring. Uh, it's a very famous poem, uh, usually taught to kids when they learn to speak and write Chinese. Uh, uh, it's, it's, I translate it as roughly as, uh, I wake up uh, late uh, and don't realize it's already morning. Um, I hear birds singing everywhere. And I remember the sounds of the storm last night. 
I wonder how many flowers have fallen. Mm-hmm. And I used it uh, when I performed that uh, commemoration of Tiananmen massacre. And because uh, I really see uh, the young students and, you know, civilians, a lot of young people who died there, the flowers who were wiped away by the storm. And you're just uh, returning from kind of a tour where you've been um, attending various commemorations around the country. Yeah, the... I'm going off tomorrow again. Uh-huh. Where no. are you going tomorrow? No, actually, tomorrow I'm going to give a talk to a high school uh, in Upper West Side uh-huh. uh, with my fellow Tiananmen survivor, uh, uh, one of the leaders, uh, Zhou Fengso. Mm-hmm. I be- believe you met, met mm-hmm. him. Uh, and... Uh, on Wednesday, I'm flying off to San Francisco to join the commemoration there. And after Wednesday, uh, then I've been invited by the University of Montana to give a talk wow. at the Mansfield Center there hmm. with a Is this former. Missoula? Huh? In Missoula? Missoula, yes. Yeah. I have never been to Montana. And I've been invited by the Mansfield Center uh, and to join the panel on Tiananmen. They organize specially for the 30th anniversary on the actual date wow. of the anniversary, uh, June 4th. And I, I will be joining a uh, former U.S. diplomat, uh, Terry Widener. Mm-hmm. Dr. Widener used to work uh, as an advisor at the U.S. Embassy during uh-huh. Tiananmen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I haven't met him, so I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to it. And then there I'm going to give a talk at a local high school too. Yeah, In Missoula. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were at the, the the sculpture park in Southern California. Uh, last year, uh, 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 I went there with uh, one of my bands called On the Way. I formed the band uh, because Tiananmen survivor Fang Zheng, who lost his legs, his legs were crushed by a tank when he uh, during the massacre. He invited me to. Uh, take a band to uh, San Francisco, then the Sculpture Park, Liberty Sculpture Park in Yermo, California, bordering Nevada in mm-hmm. the desert mm-hmm. uh, to perform. I, Because of that, I specially formed a band with American millennials uh, to travel there to perform, and, and we had a blast. Okay, and this Sculpture Park is sort of, it's dedicated to the... Um, to to the Tiananmen of, yeah. and political prisoners in China. So they are... They've they've already built a couple of sculptures. One dedicated to a Tiananmen prisoner who died a few years ago. He was in the south in Hunan. Uh, his name is Li Wangyang. He was jailed for more than twenty years and tortured. He became blind, mute, deaf. Ugh because of the tortures, because he was in solitary confinement for years Ugh. in a tiny little box. And, and uh, he lost all his teeth as well. And uh, after he let out, uh, he agreed to be interviewed by a Hong Kong TV crew. And the TV crew on camera asked him if he was sure about this because of the danger ahead. And he, he said this famous quote. He said, uh, uh, I... I can bleed more, and I I I can be beheaded, uh, but I will still speak about Tiananmen. Nothing will change me. And unfortunately, a few days later, uh, he was found to have 
killed himself, hanged himself with his both feet on the floor, and the rope was behind his neck. It this looked incredibly in suspicious in uh, Hunan. In Hunan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and very sad, Li Wangyang. Mm-hmm. So in that park, uh, uh, last year we performed in front of his statue mm-hmm. at the unveiling mm-hmm. uh, ceremony of that statue down by uh, this uh, uh, very dedicated sculptor, uh, Chen Weiming. Chen Weiming's uh, wife uh, uh, participated in Tiananmen movement, and Chen Weiming's uh, brother, uh, Chen Weijian, is a famous writer and critic, and he's the editor-in-chief of a major long-term dissident magazine called Beijing Spring. Published where? Published uh, these days online, but before, you know, in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you met both of them. They were at our Tiananmen concert on May, May 10th. Right, which was held uh, where? In Deconstruct Art Space in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Red Hook, Brooklyn, yeah. yeah. Okay, so in 1989, you were um, attending university in Beijing. Yeah, I was a freshman uh, majoring English at the Beijing Second Foreign Languages Institute. Uh, I was a party animal. I party animal. Always. Uh-huh. Still am. <laughs> That's my real profession. <laughs> I'm a professional party animal. Because I organize parties, right? I organize concerts these days. Anyway, um, I was never interested in politics to that point. Right at the beginning of the movement, uh, I remember that day uh, in late April, the funeral of Hu Yaobang, the general secretary of Chinese Communist Party, um, was being held at the Great Hall of the People in Tiananmen Square. He had just died of a heart attack suddenly and shocked the whole nation. His death was the incident that sparked the whole Tiananmen movement. Because he was sort of a, a reformist. Not a sort of. He, he was... A, very much a reformist, and he was about to start the political reforms. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. He was going to be China's Gorbachev, or even bigger. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the very few uncorrupt Chinese communist officials from the revolution, too. He was a revolutionary. He was in the wars. And he was on the long march and all that. Yeah. No, I don't think he was on the long march. Yeah, I was just Googling. He, I think on Wikipedia I read that. But then he Really? Was, yeah. yeah, I thought he would be young, too young to be in the long march. But anyway, so he became known for his economic reforms with Zhao Ziyang. At that time, Zhao Ziyang was uh, the premier. And uh, then, of course, he was sidelined by Deng Xiaoping, the evil, the evil communist elder who was operating behind the scene, who did not really hold any actual positions, but just giving out orders in his own home, in his living room. Um, so anyway, so Hu Yaobang was already sidelined and stripped of his titles before his death. Uh, but he was still considered as a hero. So his sudden death shocked the whole nation. So right, he had been sidelined for um, defending student protests, which had happened a few years 86, earlier. 86. In 1986 and 87. Well, that was just an excuse. Mm-hmm. I think the main thing was because he was about to start political reforms. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole... Uh, country was prepared for because by then 
China Central TV, CCTV, had already aired this long series of very, very progressive documentaries called River Elegy, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. openly criticizing the closeness of China as a nation, openly welcoming Western civilization, Western culture, openly defying the Great Wall, uh, criticizing the Great Wall being a shame, national shame. All right, when you say the Great Wall, you're using that in a symbolic sense? They were using it uh, as a symbolic sense yeah. that the Chinese were good at building walls, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, Closing mm -hmm. the whole nation in, and we need to dismantle the wall and uh, welcome, uh, they call it the blue, the blue uh, civilization from the other side of the ocean, the Lanse Haiyang Wenming, and they call the Chinese, uh, the so-called Chinese civilization as the yellow soil earth-related closed-up feudal society, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, and it was aired several times on national TV and influenced at least two generations. We're talking about my parents' generation and my generation and openly, openly introducing the concept of democracy and promoting democracy uh, and uh, press freedom. And we're talking about number one mouthpiece of Chinese Communist Party was promoting that kind of agenda. Right. So the, the whole nation was ready. And then he died. He was mm -hmm. sidelined and died, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. so and then there was... I know the publisher. I went to the... Uh, so... Uh, it's very interesting, this book, Prisoner of the State, the secret journal of Premier Zhao Ziyang, the Chinese edition of the book is very lame. It's called The Journey of Reforms. Uh-huh. Very apolitical. I, at the book launch party in Manhattan, I asked the publisher, Bao Pu, because he's the son of Bao Tong. Bao Tong has been under house arrest since 1989, still under house arrest. He's still alive. He was a major political advisor to Zhao Ziyang. Uh -huh. So this book is based on the cassettes, right. uh, the transcripts of his, you know, his, his recordings on cassettes smuggled kind of out of his house. a memoir that he made before he died to preserve the history, even while Bao he was under, is still under alive. house arrest. Bao Tong is still alive. No, um, Zhao Ziyang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Zhao Ziyang. He's yeah, the that's one, Zhao believe, Ziyang's cassettes. He's the one who yeah. was on the long march, right? Yes. Yes. I would yes, think yes, so. Yes, Hu Yaobang yes, would, yes, would yes, have yeah, been too yeah, young yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, and in the book, you see a picture of Deng Xiaoping. Could, could you hand it to me, sure, yeah. please? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just making it long. It was, this was pointed out by at the book launch party. Uh, I was with this famous Chinese uh, editor, Jin Zhong. Uh, he, he's, he founded uh, his own magazine called Open Magazine, and uh, which is still running this to this day, only online publication now. And he's like an encyclopedia of modern Chinese politics. He has a lot of insider information as well, a lot of great sources. I didn't even know until he pointed out a few years ago at the book launch party, this photo. Bunch of uh, old Chinese men. We call them the Dyed Hair Brigade. The seniors, the, the top Communist Party members. So this photo, I'm just reading the captions now. The reason why I'm 
really taking time to describe the photo has everything to do with Tiananmen Massacre. Let me start. The caption says, this photo was taken by Yang Shaoming, son of Yang Shangkun and a family friend of Zhao Ziyang's. It shows a meeting at Deng's house in the summer of 1989 after the army crushed the students at Tiananmen Square. It is the only known visual record of the actual setting where the crackdown decision had been made. Mm -hmm. So we're talking mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. Deng Xiaoping, the ugly, the fat, ugly, stupid man from, unfortunately, from Sichuan, uh, gave the order to the troops to kill students and civilians in the streets, the unarmed, innocent people, including now, little kids. You say he gave the order, room. but he was um, he didn't actually have an official position at this point. He, his power was kind of You're too de, westernized. de facto, right? He was the so-called paramount it leader. It doesn't matter if he has a position. He's right. the older. He's yes. the feudal, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the leader of the... It's just like it's a very Confucianist society. It's the the, the right, oldest uh, yes. male in the family yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or the mafia gang in this case mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, gave the mm -hmm. orders. He doesn't have to have a right. position. Right, just making clear. Just right, making sorry. Clear. Yeah, yes. now, you know, this, I'm not arguing with you, right. but yeah, this yeah, is yeah, good yeah, for yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, so this photo is, you see, casually gave out orders. Yeah. Or there's a photo of a, guys in the streets? a group of around 10 old men sitting around in a room talking to each other, looking uh, very detached and, uh, and leisurely about the feet. whole thing with spe spittoons by their feet. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because they were chewing tobacco? No, they just like spitting oh, okay. because they're fogglies. <laughs> All right, but getting back to your story. <laughs> so uh, you had been a party animal, and uh, then uh, what happened? So uh, back to uh, I, where I started by describing the funeral of yes. Bu Yaobang. Yeah. It was a sunny Saturday afternoon. I was out shopping with my roommates at Chiamen area. Chiamen is right next to Chiamen means front gate. It's all part of the ancient uh, forbidden city structure with this arch like, uh, you know, Chinese pagoda like thingy structures there it's a main shopping area so i was there shopping and i saw this sea of people black and white and green i said what the hell is going on black and, and white and green let me go into the details okay to give you the idea because i'm a visual person uh from the distance it's a sea of black white and green of course people uh by white green right uh, I had already heard about his death, and we saw it on the news. We heard about Peking University. Uh, the students came out marching when the news broke. But because, you know, our school, our university is a party animal, you know, uh, place, uh, so we didn't march. Um, so I thought, oh, what's going on? Maybe it's the students from Peking University, right? So I walked over. Black will be the heads of people, the black hair, right? White will be the white shirts. You know, a lot of them are wearing white shirts, so light color shirts. And the, the green. green will be the uniform, the ugly green uniform of the armed police ah, mm -hmm. surrounding. Mm -hmm. Basically, rows of students 
uh, sitting down uh, just below the steps, the front steps of the this big ugly Soviet uh, style hodgepodge with Chinese roof, this thingy called the Great Hall of uh, the the hall the Great Hall of the People, where they usually have their annual National People's Congress. Right. Um, so after the rows of students be behind them, surrounding them will be the armed police. Then behind the armed police, they're sitting down too. Behind the armed police will be the bystanders, the crowds surrounding them. We're talking about like thousands of people there. And I noticed there were three students kneeling down on top of the stairs, right in front of the front door of the hall. Uh, the guy in the middle uh, was holding a scroll of paper. And I thought, okay, so they must be presenting their demands, petition or whatever stuff. And I was kind of disgusted by that image because it really reminds me of thousands of years of enslaved mentality in China. Frequently you see in Chinese operas, uh, uh, the usual plot, like uh, some injustice happening to so-and-so, then they, they go petitioning to the emperor, mm -hmm. to the local mm -hmm. county mm -hmm. official, mm -hmm. or local mm -hmm. judge. Mm -hmm. uh, usually the usual image when you are seeing all that stuff would be kneeling on their knees, mm -hmm. presenting a scroll of paper, mm -hmm. which is like the description of their court case, their mm -hmm. case, their mm -hmm. injustice. Their grievance. And yeah. they're doing it uh, I mean, all the time, still to this day, they're called the petitioners. Right. And for the students doing that, come on, like, why are you guys on your knees? And I really hated it. So I stayed back. I, I stood back. I just watched. Um, then after that, I went back shop to shopping. I went back to the campus. But very quickly, um, we started boycotting classes. I was like, yeah, I hate going to the classes <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm all for it. I support you guys. Yes, boycott. So the whole, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of higher education institutions, even some high schools, when boycotting classes. Or this was the formation of the Autonomous Student Union? Uh, you know, that's the thing. I don't want to get into details of those bureaucracies okay. because they were irrelevant back then mm -hmm. and they're still irrelevant now, mm -hmm. even more so. I mean, 30 years later, I'm still confused about their bureaucratic structures and different organizations. Mm -hmm. Like, even like Protect Tiananmen Square headquarters, there are two of them. Right. Like, it's the Western journalists who are asking me, like, they're confused. Of course. I'm confused too, mm. and uh, who cares? I mean, All right, what so I care I, about. I'll try not to interrupt. So no, uh, okay. you, yeah, you, you began boycotting we, classes. So we we began boycotting classes, and so I mean, after going to tango uh, the parties, uh, disco parties, and uh, it's kind of boring, right? So naturally, we we went to the square. Went to the square and then saw lots of people there. We're talking about like millions, more than a million of people inside the square. That Tiananmen Square kind right. of, it was built to 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 hold more than a million people. Right. So anyway, and the largest then, public square on on earth, I understand. I don't know. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, anyway, so it was filled with protesters, you know, hundred, hundreds out. of thousands. No, millions. Yes. As I said, mm. because it's designed to 
to hold more than a million people. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, I'm talking about every time I went mm-hmm. when I went there it was jam packed. So not just students, but the common people Lots and of, uh, re- workers, local of, of residents, yeah. and uh, migrant workers, and mostly local Beijing residents, mm-hmm. and from all walks of life, mm-hmm. uh, all age groups. So demanding what at this point? Well, demanding the usual press freedom. Um, um, the main demand actually was anti-corruption, Fan Guandao. Guandao is a very special term. Basically, it's uh, it's like a transitional uh, uh, way of uh, managing the economy. Basically, it's imagine everything was state-owned. So for a lot of state-owned empress, uh, enterprises, some of them say, I, I've, I've spoken to businessmen who benefited from it. Basically, if they know, say, the party secretary of Beijing or Chengdu and who have the administrative power of deciding uh, how much steel uh, can be traded and if Say I know Bill. You're the party secretary of New York, and uh, I'm I'm a trader. Right. Buying all these industrial patronage um, materials. Patronage. You gave me the patronage. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gave me. You let me buy steel. Right. From the steel mills, at a very low price, mm. not the market price. Then I flip it to the construction sites mm-hmm. at market price or higher than market yeah, price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I earn a lot of money. And of course, I'll give you the get, kickbacks. Get kickback, exactly. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. the beginning of the mass corruption and people like were shocked by it. So the main demand actually was Fan Guan Dao. Mm-hmm. Guan means official, Dao means flipping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, so anyway, um, then of so course... So tra- transparency, the main demand was transparency yes. about these, this financial corruption and... Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, press freedom, mm-hmm. that was a main one. Uh, then, you know, some vague ones like what? Freedom? Democracy. So I went around asking. So by then, I had already started to join marches because it's a lot of fun. I free food, free Coca Cola. <laughs> Why not? I just like bags of bread, hot dogs without the 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 actual sausage in it, but just like the that kind of bread. Bags of them from nowhere. Just grab them and you know bottles of Coca Cola. Um, some don- donors were even giving out free rolls of film. But just I like local a- merchants were donating. There were just all sorts of people were donating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about like even like the major companies, the private, the most famous companies. One, the biggest one is called Stone, Sutong. They donated, they were so famous. They donated a lot of huh. goods and a lot of computers and you name it. Computers? Money. Well, because it's a computer company. It's China's Biggest and first, first and the well, this the was before before the internet. <laughs> Activism was not as computer dependent back then that it is today. Yeah, but computers—that's office gear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, think about like fax machines and all right. those things. Right, fax but anyway, and one right. night he's exiled. I met him, and that was a famous case. And a lot of private entrepreneurs. Uh, they donated a lot of uh, money and goods hmm. and materials, all sorts of stuff. But anyway, and uh, so I started marching, and then very soon was the hunger strike. That was the turning point. I don't agree with hunger strike, but as the hunger strike prolonged, because every day in Tiananmen Square will be placards holding like 
tenth day of hunger strike, but no answer, no response from the government. Where's Li Peng, Premier Li Peng? Where's he? Because by then, Zhao Ziyang had been sidelined, mm-hmm. of course. So Li Peng was the new Li premier. Pe- yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, and uh, so and, a and lot m- of much more of a hardliner. It's definitely a hardliner. Yeah. So anyway, so we're talking about a lot of the slogans had a lot to do with him. Calling him out. Mm-hmm. Call, calling him, hey, Li Peng, Li Peng, literally, it's Li Peng, come out. Mm-hmm. Li Peng, come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really escalated the whole movement. And still to this day, there's been debate about uh, whether it was a good move to go on hunger strike, and and some pe- some people still to this day are blaming the students for causing the massacre, for prolonging the protests, prolonging the hunger strike, which is absurd. Okay, so in what sense was the hunger strike the turning point? As I said, as it prolonged, because mm-hmm. it went on for weeks. Mm-hmm. And a lot of ambulances, you know, were in and out of square. So at that time, I joined the picket line protecting them. Even though I don't agree with hunger strike, I really don't like that kind of protesting, self-inflicting stuff. You know, like why? Starving myself or what? And I like eating. And I thought, but I supported them by joining the picket line. I, it was harder work for us because for them, they were just lying under the, some shelter, some makeshift tents uh, in the shade. We were standing in the sun day in, day out for like more than 10 hours, just drinking a little bit of water, you know, eating a little bit of bread, but not, not, having, not even having enough time to, to, to go get a quick bite to eat uh, or the only break would be just toilet break right but you know we're really dedicated and I was I, I was a kind of uh, frustrated because we were right outside the tents of the leaders of the autonomous federation of the stu- students whatever stuff and I could already see the hierarchical hypocrisy there now because what kind of democracy is this I was asking around uh People, what's minju? Min, minju is the Chinese word for democracy because it was a novelty for us. Uh, before, we were only taught this term uh, when it's attached to other things. Say, for example, Renmin Minju Zhuanzhen. That's when I saw the word minju. Uh, so let me translate it into English. You will see how absurd it is. It's called People's Democratic Dictatorship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah, 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 or yeah. proletariat dictatorship. Something like that. So nobody could answer my question, what is Minju? Then they will say, oh, Renmin Dang Jia Zhuozhu. That means people taking control, people being the masters. It's still too vague, right? Or this was the official phrase of the regime, people's democratic dictatorship. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which sounds like an oxymoron. But Minju yeah. by itself was never a term by right. itself, right. but there was always attached. Right. Otherwise, there's another one. Um, the system of democratic concentration. And I said, what's that? Mm-hmm. Democratic concentration? Like, uh, how? Right? Like, it's just all these oxymorons. Like, uh, me as a 20-year-old, like, I wasn't stupid. It was like, what the hell is this? Um, but anyway, so, but a lot of people, their idea is like, people are equal, People, uh, the masses take charge, people power, that kind of thing. But then again, I started to question the whole movement. Like, I'm there standing in the sun for 10 hours on the picket line, right outside the top student leaders' tents. There's no way for me to go 
beyond that rope.、Mm-hmm. I was on the other side of the rope, the like makeshift fence、mm-hmm. or something,、mm-hmm. surrounding their tents. Their tents were on top of the stairs of the monument to people's heroes, which is the like the center landmark、right. in the center of the Tiananmen Square. Um, so the top leadership of the students' federation, whatever autonomous federation, they were there、mm-hmm. in the tents,、um, receiving foreign TV crews, right, arguing, fighting among themselves.、Mm-hmm. And there's no way for somebody like me, even though I'm not the, your usual small potato, I was one of the leaders of my university, but we had no connection with them, no communication. They did not reach out to us.、Mm-hmm. And there's no way for me to go in, and I didn't bother. I just didn't want to argue with them. Hey, can I go in and see Wang Dan work, Kai Shi? And I, I just, I didn't even want to see them because what I cared about, what I really loved, was to be among the nameless people, the Beijing residents. Because it was to this day, I see it. I keep saying it.、Um, it's China's Woodstock. It's of course. Bigger than Woodstock, and, and, and more, more political、dramatic. than Woodstock. More political course, and、yes. more dramatic, and、yeah. it's China's Woodstock without the mud, but with plenty of blood. China's Woodstock crushed by the tanks, and it's the first and the biggest Occupy movement. That's right. Think about it, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 the yeah, Wall yeah. Street, they, they Occupy Wall Street. I didn't even bother to <laughs> go in to join them. I did go in to have a look. Well, it was it. something anyway. Of course, it's something.、Yeah. Don't be offended,、yeah. but. Just, anyway, just so there was a, you felt that there was sort of a, a lack of internal democracy even within the structure of this pro-democracy movement. So you were kind of a no, dissident among the dissidents. No, the real democracy was among the common people,、yeah. the common students.、Mm-hmm. That's what I cared about. That's what I'm still caring about to this day.、Mm-hmm. I really don't care about the top leaders,、mm-hmm. and still to this day, some of them still live in their past glory, in their fantasies, still thinking the foreign crews will be begging for an interview. That's kind of BS,、uh, <laughs> irrelevant. So anyway,、um, what I really, what really moved me and gets me going all these years, is those people I met, I talked to. Oh,、uh, so for example, like one day, because I wasn't staying there overnight, I, I love my my comfort in my dormitory, so I usually I would just you know in the evening I would go back to the campus,、mm-hmm. even though it's so far away,、mm-hmm. several buses and subway stops. Um, then the next day I will come in again.、Mm-hmm. So one I remember it's it's so. To this day, I really think of those old ladies, two old ladies. Blocked my way when I was walking out of an exit of the subway station near the Tiananmen Square, and of course I had my red bandana on. I looked like a typical student, and these two old ladies, and I was with a friend from university, and the two old ladies just held our hands, just stopped us, so, and she, and they said, "Please do not go, do do not go in, do not go on hunger strike." I said, "What?" Uh, I'm not a hunger strike. She said, "Please do not do that.、Uh, you are f- our nation's flower buds.、Uh, let's do the hunger strike, and let's die for you. Let's die for our nation. But you have a lot of future ahead of you." And what they said to me, what they did, really like stay with me forever because they're not alone. They're not. Uh, they're like among thousands of those nameless people, who 
whose demands were more real than ours, uh, who are more real than in every sense uh, compared with even with me and students. Um, their desire for freedom and democracy is more real to me. And they are the ones who died the most. They are the ones who blocked the military trucks and the tanks because... All right, so we're getting ahead of ourselves in the story here. Yeah, but, you know, so, like just, mm-hmm. just, uh, just to give you a sense of the, the whole scene there. Right. So, like, in the square, every day will be people like this. Mm-hmm. And they're, they were just so... Uh, the feelings, the emotions were very raw and very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the real beauty of Tiananmen movement. Mm-hmm. Forget about the abstract political debates mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. concepts. Yeah, and even uh, local journalists joined in and held a um, a march for press freedom, which yes. was a pretty amazing thing to be happening at that time. I think. Oh, uh, not just local journalists. We're talking about uh, even policemen. The policemen they marched in uniforms, and in your with, support, yeah, with the banners saying, "We apologize," hmm. and staff from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade, you you name it. Wow, cops, elementary school uh, students, workers, of course, nuns and monks, you name it, all sorts of people, and uh, uh, to this day. Uh, Zhou Fengso was saying, because five years ago when he made a su- successful enter Beijing from a flight in, he flew from Hong Kong. Anyway, so I'm sorry, who is this? Zhou Fengso, you met the oh, one yeah. of the mm-hmm. student leaders. Right. He, for the twenty fifth anniversary, he successfully entered China. He went to Beijing. He went to Tiananmen Square. Then, of course, he was arrested. This uh, was twenty sixteen. No. 2014. 2014. No, no, hang okay. on. Uh, yeah, five years ago. Yeah, 2014. Okay. Yeah. For the 25th anniversary. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. he he's been saying t- to a lot of people that the cops who detained him were uh, pretty okay with him and polite, uh, and told him they remembered fondly how peaceful it was, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. low the crime rate was mm-hmm. during Tiananmen because mm-hmm. there were cops mm-hmm. mining mm-hmm. Tiananmen Square too. Mm-hmm. Funny coincidence, but even like people are saying, even uh, pickpockets went on strike. Right. <laughs> right? It was like that. It was total utopia. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so much love. It, that's, that's what I really, really miss. So much love and innocence and passion. And everybody was so nice. And it was so peaceful. Yeah, just just incredibly beautiful. It's of course right, a know. utopian moment, a concept we've um, explored on these uh, on these airwaves, such as we've seen since then during the Arab Revolution and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. Okay, so then at a certain point, the government um, uh, takes off the gloves, so to speak, and uh, declares martial law. May twentieth, nineteen eighty nine. I remember it very well mm-hmm. because it was a turning point for me too. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to talk about it? Yes. So by then, I had returned to the campus. I got a bit bored about chanting the same slogans, which I did not understand in the streets. So I wanted to learn about democracy. So I went to the library and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Then in the afternoon of May 20th, I heard some of the students from my university 
were carried back. They had been badly beaten up by the cops with electrical batons. Uh, like one one guy about my age, a skinny, quiet kid who's usually apolitical, he just happened to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time at an intersection with other protesters. You know, like picket line members, you know, doing the usual thingies. Um, then he was he and other students were surrounded by at least half a dozen armed police and beat them up really, really savagely, and he could not even walk. I visited him in his dormitory when he was in bed. Uh, he could barely speak. I was really, really outraged. I was shocked. I think, come on, like, what did he do wrong? Why did he deserve this? So I immediately uh, hitchhiked to Tiananmen Square. And uh, at the square, and then I heard there were students staging a sitting in, sitting outside Zhongnanhai uh, at the Xinhuamen. Xinhuamen means Gate of New China, uh, which is the location of Zhongnanhai. Zhongnanhai actually is part of the Forbidden City, but made into the Communist Party leaders working and living compound right. uh, where Mao Zedong and, you know, all those important guys. Um, so since the movement began, there have been sittings and uh, attempts to storm into the compound and chaos. I wouldn't say riots, but, you know, we're talking about students had been beaten up there. So I knew that was a trouble spot and I heard students there needed support. So I went there. And I saw this only one row of students sitting on the on the ground uh, with their arms locked, um, facing out with their back towards the entrance, front entrance of Zhongnanhai. And behind them would be a row of soldiers sitting, sitting on the ground too, but kind of peacefully. There, there's no... Uh, uh, like the soldiers conflicts. were sitting. The soldiers were sitting, the students were sitting, then facing out to the street, which is the avenue of e eternal peace, Chang'anjie, mm -hmm. uh, just you know, around the corner from the square. Uh, and then there are crowds of people, uh, like civilians and other students, like offering them support, chanting slogans. Mm -hmm. And there were foreign crews. I remember there was Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC. The reason why, why I remember is that I vol volunteered to translate for them which is something I have been doing during the whole movement mm -hmm. because with my Eng limited English, I was still able to do that. And a lot of foreign journalists could not speak any Mandarin. Uh, they were parachuted in right. to cover Gorbachev's <laughs> historical visit. Right. Anyway, so, so... In the middle of this, Gorbachev was, was flown in and it was the first Soviet leader to be visiting uh, China since the Sino-Soviet split a generation earlier. And the yeah, since there's the split in the 50s, so right. that was huge. And they were going to have a big ceremony for him in Tiananmen Square, and of course they could not because it was occupied by students. The so students that was a real had even prepared banners and placards in Russian language <laughs> welcoming <laughs> him. <laughs> it was so sweet. <laughs> uh, and, and then, of course, they ended up uh, uh, doing a makeshift, uh, very hastily put together ceremony At the airport. without the red carpet 
everybody noticed it on national TV because、mm-hmm. it was broadcast live on national TV. People were like, "What? No red carpet?、Mm-hmm. What kind of ceremony is this?、Mm-hmm. Ah, ha, ha, that's great because the students are occupying the square.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we're winning, you know."、Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we really wanted to meet him.、Uh, and but anyway, so、uh, back to the night of May twentieth, the martial law、uh, day.、Uh, so I. I joined the students and standing to my.、Um, then by then they had already stood up. They were standing there chanting slogans, singing international. So I just joined them and standing next to a young boy, and he smiled at me. And I remember he stood to my left.、Uh, he smiled at me and、uh, introduced himself, and and his name is Wang Chong. I, the reason why I remember his name is really because the name usually it's a girl's name. Chong means beautiful jade. It's unusual for a guy to have that kind of name. And he told me he's a freshman from Beijing Science and Technology University, and he's、uh, part of the、uh, hunger strikers delegation from his university. Blah 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 blah. But anyway, so we ended up、uh, doing that sitting for the whole night. And then, of course, after the foreign TV crews left, some people left. Some people really they they usually they go where the TV crews are, uh, and uh, so I thought that's the time we really needed to hold the position to be there, not just leave,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. So I, because you know I'm so loud and I. I how can I say I, I I had a lot of energy, so a lot of people lost voice after hours of chanting slogans, and I was still going. So they just handed me the bullhorns, and you know, why don't you leave the crowd? And I started conducting them, singing international, and、uh, some other songs.、Um, and、uh, I really thought I felt it was like a rock concert. Like you know, had my extremely short hair, wore that red bandana. It the red bandana. I it's a piece of cloth, a piece of、uh, like I tore a corner of a red flag, and I had already asked other Chinese、students. national flag. No, no, no I would、okay. have never right, done、okay. it back right, then. Yeah, we'll Now these days I'll burn <laughs> as many as possible. But、mm. anyways, because the thing is, the whole movement. Don't get us wrong. The common uh, uh, perception is that we're going to we're trying to、uh, overthrow the government. We're protesting against the government. We're not against the government. That's very very different. It's a patriotic movement. So I remember very very well. Me as a, one of the leaders of my university. We had this consensus, even though we had no actual instructions from the autonomous whatever federations, the useless body. But we had this consensus: we're not going to shout any slogans such as "Down with Chinese Communist Party"、mm-hmm. or saying anything bad about the government、mm-hmm. or the the Communist Party. The main demand really is to have a dialogue with the government, ask them to start with political reforms.、Mm-hmm. To grant us press freedom,、mm-hmm. then of course we did not realize press freedom and freedom of assembly and all those things were demanding had already been written into the Chinese constitution. This is very ironic, right? Right, but never honored. 
you of course never honored. Uh, but anyway, so the uh, uh, where were we now? So the a lot of people, I really think, just realized it was a an occasion. Was the time to fully express themselves to to have a to really savor the taste of freedom. That's why, like every day, I throughout the whole movement up to the eve of Tiananmen Massacre, there were a lot of singing going on, dancing. Even after martial law had been declared, May yes, 20th, of continued. course. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking about that night. That's why right. I wanted to talk about it yeah. because I was there. I I was wearing a red shirt and white jeans and fake Nike shoes, um, but I really. I was one of the ones who looked really hip, uh, really looked like a kid in a rock concert, and that, that's how I saw it too. And jumping up and down and singing international with a rock or pop beat, ah. making fun of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the lyrics are so good anyway. Uh, so instead of like that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Heroically, mm-hmm. then we're singing a deliberately conducted like the pop beat. Making it really pop, poppy, right? So anyway, um, that went on for the whole night. Uh, then I remember it was crack of dawn and the sun was rising above the square. We wanted to catch the sunrise, you know why? Because we wanted to see the Chinese national flag being raised. So we were there really... It was like a rock concert yeah. for the whole night. Yeah. It, it was just the feel of it. I still, it's so vivid. It's just like last night. Still the night of May 20th. Yes. It, people are just so cheerful uh, and so peaceful and so well behaved. I remember I saw one uh, Beijing resident was holding his banner, which is like slightly rude uh, uh, about uh, Premier Li Peng. I remember the slogan very well. It's called Li Peng Gui Bu Chu Tou. Gui means tortoise. Uh, so the literal meaning is Li Peng, the head of the tortoise, does not come out because it's hiding, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. head of a tortoise also means tsk. Yeah, yeah. Something rude, right, something yeah, yeah. to do with male sexual <laughs> yes, organs, yes, yes, yes. right? So uh, then I, I, I remember I was scolding him. I said, no, 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 that's too rude. Don't be rude to the our leaders. Uh, we're calling him to come out, but just, just please, we don't need that. Mm-hmm. Please put it away. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even argue. He just like wrote it up and put it away. Mm-hmm. No problem. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that one, the, the whole concert uh, went on uh, for the whole night. Then it was the sun was rising. And me and uh, Wang Chong and uh, 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 another freshman, he's from Peking University. His name is Gao. He's a really funny dude, and he was cracking jokes all the time uh, and uh, very sweet. So we three decided to go back to Tiananmen Square because we didn't want to miss the raising of the national flag. Uh, Usually mm-hmm. they would have... Like the soldiers doing okay, that kind of ceremony. Okay, back to Tiananmen Square. So now you're at the um, Xiamen? 
You're, you're, you're mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We walked back because it's just around the corner right, from right, the square. Right, 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 right. We walk along the avenue of eternal peace, right. Chang'anjie, and we walked to the flagpole. Mm-hmm. And we, we did see the, our national flag being raised, feeling really proud of China and, and uh, feeling very positive about China's future and feeling really patriotic. Mm-hmm. You know, because right, and being raised by the students or raised by the authorities? No, no, no. It's like the the army is in yeah, charge yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah. We're talking about right. the soldiers doing very very elaborate marching, right? Mm-hmm. And they were trained inside the forbidden city. All they do is do that, mm-hmm. uh, and it's usually it's a big tourist attraction, right? Uh, still to this day, of yeah. course. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I remember walking uh, back to the square. I was in the middle. Uh, I think Wang Chung lent me his denim jacket and put it on my shoulder. And uh, we walked back and the sun was rising. You know, the flag was about to be raised. I had this feeling of being a revolutionary leader. Like I had this image. If you saw this propaganda art I grew up with, it's like Mao or Zhou Enlai or whoever, like usually have their their jacket hang off the shoulder, walking in the sunrise, right, being really positive about it. And I, I feel like a revolutionary leader <laughs> flanked by two guys. I, I feel pretty cocky and, you know, very positive about everything. Um, then uh, then we, we just, like, uh, crashed out, uh, lying on the rubble, whatever piles of stuff, because, you know, like among the tents, uh, there are a lot of stuff, and and uh, I remembered I just slept with the denim jacket as my little blanket, you know, those stuff for a couple of hours. Then Wang Chung and that guy called Gao, you know, they woke up, and then we say goodbye to one another. And I was just hanging out there outside my university's tent. There was another student coming by. Uh, he was holding a camera, and I said, hey, I, I, I haven't had a, ca- a picture taken during the whole moment. Do you mind? And he took a picture of me. So that black and white picture he developed in his dark room he made in his dormitory is the only picture I have from the movement. Mm-hmm. The one you saw, mm-hmm. the tiny mm-hmm. little one. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, you know, looking very casual there. And I'm very proud of myself. Um, that was the sentiment of a lot of the students. I wasn't alone like that. Uh, and, you know, when you're 20 or 18, 19, and being swept up in such a huge movement. Uh, even if you're not interested in politics like me, even if you don't want to be part of it, you have to, because we're talking about all your neighbors, uh, even for Beijing residents. Um, you know, I see toddlers on, on their parents' shoulders marching in the streets. You can still see those archival fo- photos. And even like elementary school students, I saved online, I saw a photo of elementary school students holding little banners with those messages for press freedom and democracy marching in the streets. And it was just so uplifting, and everybody was just so happy and so hopeful. And nobody would have imagined, would have predicted what was going to happen next, right? I believe we're... we're do you want me to talk about more about the movement, or you want me to move to the massacre now? <clears throat> it's up to you. Well, what happened in those in those ten days? Were fourteen days, two weeks between May twentieth, martial law is declared, and then June fourth. Well, then you know uh, the martial law. What the the following few days after the martial law was declared, uh, a lot of 
we saw a lot of military trucks, not that many tanks yet, a lot of military trucks full of troops uh, in, in the truck uh, uh, trying to move into Beijing, trying to move towards Tiananmen Square, but got blocked at every intersection, every road. And those lo- little old ladies I talked by about Beijing before. By Beijing residents. Yes, not even mostly. By students, just Beijing no, 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 residents. students too, but mostly by Beijing right. residents, yeah. like those little old ladies. Right. I heard a lot of tales of those little old ladies, neighborhood ladies, uh, just lying on um, in the middle of uh, the avenue, mm-hmm. uh, lying either one person or a few, mm-hmm. right in front of uh, a, a row of. Uh, Military trucks. Mm-hmm. That's how they block them too, mm-hmm. and and then of course persuading and talking to the soldiers. Some of them did turn back. Some of them did got stuck there, but they're not allowed to talk to the civilians. There are a lot of photos and videos of that, and a lot of people like gave speeches to them and trying to persuade them because the soldiers did not know what was going on. They were ordered to go in to crack down on some riots right. and big crimes or something, and uh, then there are a lot of incidents when the local residents and the students organized to deliver food and water to them. We're talking about delivering dumplings and bread and all sorts of food. To the police, the soldiers. To the soldiers. To the soldiers, yeah. Yeah, they even, they organized like, uh, like groups of them delivering that. It's not like random stuff. Right, it's right, organized right, 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 food right. delivery. Mm-hmm. And and so by then, and people are still hopeful and did not think it would ex- escalate, would go bad. But some of those who have been, been have experienced the cultural revolution, and the the older ones, they they were getting a bit worried, not because of the martial law. Right, even before martial law, on April twenty sixth, People's Daily published this editorial, right, 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 this right. famous editorial, and it really. I mean, I didn't understand it, but the adults were saying, "Oh my God, they're going to they're going to crack down hard. They're going to do. They're going to be nasty." But this dude didn't think would be troops shooting mm-hmm. at people, would be tanks crushing people. Right? Mm-hmm. Nobody would have thought of that, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's never happened in Chinese history mm-hmm. or world history. I'm talking about that scale. Government sent. Troops and tanks. All right, well, this still happened a few days later. So the editorial basically said what? Oh, just, just, just basically, it defined the movement as a riot, mm-hmm. and they did not say it, they, what they will do. But I remember the headline is "必须." Uh, so, uh. To translate it roughly is, we must, without hesitation, uh, crack down the riots mm-hmm, 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 uh, mm-hmm. with a clear purpose, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. right? Okay, but there were other newspapers which actually were more supportive of the movement. There was one newspaper in Shanghai which was shut down yeah, after the repression. Uh, the world... Uh, Economic uh, uh, forum or journal or something. Yeah, yeah. Qin Li, the the editor in chief, was was very you know much promoting the political reforms. They published editorials. They covered the the movement in Shanghai, mm-hmm. and, and then of course he he was sacked. Uh, uh, and uh, the other smaller papers, I dated a guy who was the executive editor 
of the China Fine Arts newspaper, 中国美术报 they ran front page stories on the hunger strike. Lots of photos of students' protests and hunger strikes, and they were forced to close down after, after the massacre. After, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now, but this time you say there were protests happening in Shanghai, so the movement was beginning to spread to other cities around China. And this、yeah. is something which is also little understood, I think, today that it was not just in Beijing. Not un- little understood, little known. Yes,、uh, even to somebody like me, until just a few years ago.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about at least three hundred cities and towns. Wow! And even like a few years ago, when I was we're talking about like fifteen years ago, when I was a, on a reporting trip in Lanzhou, the capital of Gansu, which is in the Gobi Desert, northwestern China, neighboring Xinjiang, right? Right. Right.、Uh, very remote. And I was just strolling in the city square with a young judge who was a girlfriend of mine. Out of the blue. Because I never told her about my background. This was when. I'm talking about 15 years ago. Uh huh. It's in the 90s.、Mm-hmm. No, two thousand something. Yeah. Anyway,、um, out of the blue, she started to reminisce.、Uh, oh, back in the good old days, in 1989,、mm-hmm. we were here,、uh, day and night. Ah. Hundreds of thousands of people, blah blah blah. Then、mm. she started talking and talking about、mm-hmm. it. So who? I had never told her about my background, but、huh. she was like just like really reminiscing fondly.、Mm-hmm. And in Chengdu as well,、uh, about six years ago, I was in、uh, now it's called Tianfu Square, where a huge, gigantic Mao Zedong statue stands.、Uh, back then, it's called the、uh, People's South Road. Square. It's like the mini Tiananmen Square of the city. A、mm-hmm. lot of cities have squares like right, that. It's the capital of Sichuan, your province. Yeah, Chengdu. Yeah. I grew up behind Mao's statue,、uh-huh. and my father was part of the team building it.、Uh, but anyway, so I I'm familiar with that、uh, place, and I was there having photos taken. I was there with my first boyfriend,、uh, an artist, who's. Always apolitical. Who never wants to get into trouble. Who's very, he's, he's just like the the most well-behaved and obedient artist in in China or something. And out of the blue, he was talking about、uh, staying there all night long during Beijing massacre. Knowing something nasty was happening、or、in th- Beijing. Th- this was when you had this conversation. Talking about. Oh well, we had this conversation with him about six years ago. About six years 2013. ago, twenty、mm-hmm. thirteen.、Uh, we're just like taking photos. There, he was taking photo of me. I was trying on my Tibetan dress.、Mm-hmm. Anyway, so out of the blue, he was talking about it.、Mm-hmm. I never talked to him about. Well, Chengdu was the only other city where there was actually a massacre. I exactly. understand. Exactly. So、mm-hmm. my friend, he was、uh, on the same day on June fourth. No, the same night, the June third.、Right, he 3rd, was yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about he was there for the whole night mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in support of us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he didn't go into details. I, 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 I didn't want want to probe him too much.、Mm-hmm. I should have, but you know.、Mm-hmm. Then again, it's just.、Um, then later on, from Louisa Lim's、uh, the former NPR correspondent's book, The Republic of、uh, Amnesia. 
she dedicated uh, several chapters about the massacre in Chengdu. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's not about the tanks crushing people. It's more about those people being beaten up to death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's incredibly bloody. Mm -hmm. And uh, the biggest shopping mall or dep department store called uh, Renmin Shangchang, People's uh, Shopping Mall, was burned down. Then, of course, the government always says, oh, it's the rioters who burnt it down. No, no, no. It's all part of the massacre. Hmm. Uh, and that's just Chengdu. And there are other places we don't know yet. To okay, this but getting back to your experiences. Mm -hmm. so. What do you want to know? Uh, the actual massacre? Well, if, have we gotten to that point? Oh, God. Uh, to cut a long story short, because we're talking about a whole night of dramas. Uh, so you're, you're asking me about the two weeks between the martial law and June 3rd, right? So then this, the movement started dwindling again. People got bored and directless, uh, directionless. Um, and uh, until a few days before the massacre, uh, there was the erection of the statue, the goddess of goddess democracy. Of democracy yeah. That really drew a lot of crowds mm -hmm. back to the square. But we were laughing at the statue because the statue looks like a communist martyr. Looks like especially one martyr called Liu Hunan, she was a little communist spy who was beheaded, I think, by KMT. Anyway, and well, back in the, 1940s the hairstyle or? looks like hers, yes. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and they were like, it's bad sculpture. I mean, I'm an artist. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. like, it's what? Kind of, kind of naive. You, you, want, you want to do uh, Lady Liberty or a communist martyr? It's kind like, of a make up your mind, okay? Mixture of the two. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a hybrid. Right? So yeah. we're like, hey, make up your mind. What do you want, want the goddess to look like, hey? Uh, I, I deliberately did not have any photos taken there, did not even go near. I thought, okay, it's there, it's there, people are gathering around there. I went back to campus, so on third on the 3rd of June, I was playing tennis. I was playing tennis with the political supervisor of our English faculty, Teacher Liu, and he was saying, hey, some students reported you uh, for drinking beer and smoking cigarettes in the student cafeteria. I said, so, why is that a big deal? I've seen plenty of male students do that. And nobody thinks it's, it's bad. And me, as a girl doing that, oh, it's bad, right? So then he, he just shrugged and we played tennis. <laughs> um, then all of a sudden, it was a really nice, balmy, sun, sunny afternoon like this now. Kind of muggy. And it was a student dashing across the sports ground uh, and say, oh, they're smashing the military trucks, they're smashing the trucks. Because after the martial law, like, then there were no more blocking or smashing of the uh, military trucks, right? It was all peaceful. And I said, oh, what? Uh, okay, so I dashed tennis racket in hand. I got my weapon. And I dashed to the southern gate of the campus. The southern gate is right next to the main drag, uh, leading towards Beijing. Basically, our campus is about 25 kilometers to the east of Beijing. So for any traffic going into Beijing, any traffic from north, from the north, from the east or northeast, they have to go past our campus into Beijing. So naturally, a lot of military trucks, right? Uh, so when I saw crowds surrounding the trucks and the trucks were standing still, and some of the windscreens of the, uh, you know, some of the trucks had already been smashed. And I got bored. I said, oh, nothing to do, right? 
And then so I went around and just released the air from the tires. That's uh-huh. a good trick, hey? Uh-huh. And then I climbed uh, at the back of one truck, you know, like other students, other civilians were doing, like to- talking to the soldiers. And I noticed the soldiers, they, it was like jam-packed as like sardines or something. Um, and they were younger than us. And the soldiers were like, you know, sitting on the floor of the truck, at the back of the truck, looking down, didn't want to have any eye contact. So very fresh recruits. I mean, you were, what, 19 or something at this point? I was 20. They were like 17, 18. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I tried to talk to them, and they, they didn't want to have any, not even eye contact. So after a while, I said, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, there's nothing more I can do here, right? Then, then at that time, my boyfriend at the time, the editor of China Fine Arts newspaper, Zhongguo Meishubao, he cycled back because he lived in an apartment on campus, uh, even though he's not teaching there. But anyway, so, and he said he just went past Tiananmen Square and there were not enough students there. There were very few students there and the students really needed backup. And I thought, wow, this is serious because people are already talking about rumors like more troops are going in. It's going to be serious tonight. It's going to be nasty, blah, 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 right? So I quickly went back to my dormitory and uh, I changed my clothes. I put on a black T-shirt, black corduroy jeans, and I took a black jacket uh, because I knew I would be there for the whole night. And I, I put on my red bandana, my uniform, as a protester, because I knew if I put that on, I can hitchhike, which which mm-hmm. is what's what I've been doing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But then, then again, I said, well, okay, I'll just cycle. It's quicker because the roads were blocked, and so hitchhiking is out of question. So you took a bicycle? I took my bicycle I just bought, uh-huh. a second-hand bicycle, but I saved up for months, 120 yuan. It's called Flying Deer. Mm-hmm. The, uh, it's a red bicycle. It's a cute bicycle. Anyway, um, and then I I thought, oh, it's going to be nasty, right? I need some weapon. I had a Uyghur dagger. I I, I had it as a souvenir given by... A Uyghur by dagger. Speci- the dagger of the Uyghur people. Yes, specifically from Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. Because a past boyfriend went there to paint. He's an artist. And I asked him, because I like collecting the, you know strange looking knives just for fun hmm. i don't use knives okay. for fighting um because they're so nicely decorated the tibetan knives and the Uyghur knives uh-huh. are really beautiful especially the what do you call it the shell of the knives mm-hmm. uh, with this you know semi-precious stone inlays mm-hmm. anyway so i remember the it's sheaf. like a the red sheaf. yeah the yeah. red leather yeah. sheath yeah. with with little little i mean glass beads inlays right. but anyway uh i had been Having it at the bottom of my suitcase for since I moved to Beijing, like for several months now, and uh, I remembered I had it, so I took it out. I took it out, put it in my jeans pocket. I remember it was kind of awkward, you know, jeans pocket, a dagger, but you know, because I was cycling, right? And I didn't take it back because I I really wanted to travel light because I knew it was would be like. Street combat, right? Right. Yeah, go to travel light. Don't take any bags or yeah. purse. I yeah. didn't even take my purse. I just took a few yuan cash. Um, then I, I took the bike and I, and I noticed the main gates were blocked by the professors trying to stop the students from going out. 
they they didn't want the students to to be in danger of course didn't want the students to go to Tiananmen Square I uh, that's what a lot of parents did to their kids mm -hmm. and a lot of professors did to their students around Beijing tried to keep you on campus yes right for our safety it's right. not because they were censoring right, us. right 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 because the professors by then including the dean of my faculty were marching in the streets shoulder to shoulder uh, they were fully in support of us, mm -hmm. openly too. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so um, I I just went to a side gate and took a little detour, mm -hmm. and I went down to the main drag, and I remember there was very little traffic because like the intersections were blocked, uh, and I remember I was the only cyclist, and no cars, no vehicles, no pedestrians. It's that kind of country road, and it's no pedestrian lanes, or not even cycle bicycle lanes anyway. And I was cycling towards east, uh, towards west, right? So the sun was just setting. Oh, before I set off, I had time. I thought I better write a farewell letter. Uh, before I was told by the the soldiers who who fought in the Sino-Vietnam War, when I was in elementary school, they gave speeches, right? Patriotic speeches. Mm -hmm. I remember one soldier said, one one officer said, when they were asked to to write farewell letters before major battle, he refused. He he knew he wouldn't die, and those who wrote the letters died. Uh, so that's uh, his superstition. Uh, 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 uh. So that night, that's why I wanted to mention it because I already knew I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. It's not that I wanted to die; it's that I I thought I would die mm -hmm. that night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought, uh, okay, I better write something. And I didn't want to write to my parents because I, I, I knew I, I didn't want them to scold me. For two and a half months since the movement began, I had deliberately stopped writing letters to them and not answering their letters mm -hmm. because back then, no phone calls. Right. Telegram? Right. They didn't mm -hmm. send telegrams. But anyway, so I thought I was really in love with this avant-garde artist, the, the editor of this art newspaper. Uh, and so I wrote... A short letter to him. Uh, I remember in the letter I said, 亲爱的,永别了,我爱你,永远记住那天堂般的生活吧,就当是个梦。I uh, translated here, it's like, my dearest, farewell, I love you. Uh, please remember that heavenly life forever, and just treat it as a dream. I miss you. Then I signed 7.30 p.m., June 3rd, 1989. I still have that letter. I got it sealed, and I asked one of my roommates, if I do not return tomorrow, mm -hmm. give it to him. Mm -hmm. This is his apartment, mm -hmm. apartment number, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. So uh, anyway, so I, when I was cycling all the way, and the sun was setting, and it was like really like in a dream. Uh, it's very surreal, and I knew I was on the road of no return. Uh, no matter what happened. And I just knew. I just could feel it. Uh, I, it's just like I was floating in the air. And a lot of poplar trees. The poplar Because the road is lined, uh, flanked by rows of, uh, two rows of poplar trees. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful. They're very typical northern Chinese trees. Very, very tall and straight. And the tree trunks, the, the patterns on the tree trunks, they look like human eyes. Big eyes. It's it's really like a, such a surreal image. Me, the only person on that long road, 
and the sun is setting, and all these eyes on the tree trunks looking at me silently. And I was chanting this sentence from Jack London, my favorite American writer. I'd rather be uh, I'd rather be ashes than dust. I'd rather be ashes than dust. Um, it's just like my mantra. My mantra, just like just to settle myself. To, to it's like meditative. And once I enter Beijing uh, on the outstretch of the uh, avenue of Ch uh, eternal peace, I was um, and I. I I remembered uh, that's Jiangguo Wai Da Jie near Traders Hotel near the China International Hotel newly built hotels, and that because that's near the U.S. and U.K. embassy, and uh, then I thought I was entering a war zone because there were burning trucks and burning buses. Not burning the trucks were not the military trucks, but just burning vehicles, and a lot of roadblocks moved. Sideways, so protesters were setting vehicles on fire. Yeah, as mm -hmm. roadblocks. Mm -hmm. As roadblocks. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I said, "Oh wow, this is a war. It's a war zone." So I remember it's really like in the movie. I was cycling slowly, passing all these burning trucks and burning buses, and people were really busy moving the roadblocks because they were like concrete blocks. Usually, those blocks would uh, divide the cycling lanes. From the vehicle lanes, right? Right, 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 right. And uh, they were like moving them around, like, really busy. And uh, then I didn't stop. I just kept going, going along the avenue of internal peace into the square. Once I got into the square, I couldn't believe my eyes. I said, oh my God, what's going on here? This is another thing. It's completely different. It's another world. It's all peaceful. There were all these people, I'm talking about three generations, grandmas, grandpas, little kids, toddlers, babies, people holding babies and holding their paper fans and, you know, whatever, strolling around. It's like a typical Beijing evening after dinner. They will come out and stroll around. On the sidewalks will be guys squatting uh, and playing chess. The chess will be on the sidewalks, on the ground, mm. and they'll be squatting there and drinking beer and chatting, right, laughing. So I quickly found the, the tent of our university, and uh, and then I started to organize the students because you know I'm I'm a leader, uh, and and I thought oh we better get some weapons, uh, so we started to dismantle parts of the tents to get some bamboo sticks or mm -hmm. wooden sticks or whatever stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, we could use. And then I went around to those chess players and asking them to lend us their empty beer bottles because we thought, hmm, we could make uh, Monotov cocktails, but I didn't even know how to make them. Mm -hmm. But I said, well, just get the materials first, right? Mm -hmm. Then deal with it later. Mm -hmm. Think later. Mm -hmm. And then I said, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, I'm getting hungry. Uh, I may die tonight. Uh, I don't want to be a hungry ghost. I, I, I want to have my last supper. So I went around to a street hawker because a lot of guys were selling wontons and tea eggs from the back of the tricycles. We're talking about like a stove with the, the, the gas stove and with a big pot of water boiling and they're like making noodles and wontons they're dishing in the mouth. And so I went there and said, oh, God, wontons, it's just too messy to eat. I'm in a hurry. So I just bought some eggs. And the other eaters there, they were so funny. 
they're just scolding these the food vendor and say, "How could you charge this student? She's going to die for us tonight. How how dare you charge her two yuan for her eggs? Just give her the food for free." Well, yeah, <laughs> something like that. It's very typical Beijing. They're so talkative and funny, and they, they have such a sense of justice, even down to this level, right? Don't charge that poor student the, the, for the eggs. Anyway, so then. I started to persuade those people to leave, and I persuaded the the food vendor. I said, "Congratulations on your your nice business. It's going very well, but it's just not going to be great later on. It's going to be could be dangerous, and I, you really should go now. You really should go. I really wonder what happened to them. Maybe some of them they ended up using their tricycles, as we know, uh, to to carry the bodies, uh, to carry the wounded. And I really have a lot of respect for those people. Uh, it's really well documented, and and I'm pretty sure a lot of them were those food vendors and, and laborers. But anyway, so then you know, then they started to you know, people started to leave. Then I met a Hungarian couple who refused to leave, and I said. Police. Hungarian couple. Hungarian couple, so an elderly couple, or, um, tourists. Mm-hmm. I said, please, you're foreigners. This is too dangerous for you. Blah blah blah. Then they said, oh, we're from a communist country too. We support you. We want to stay. I said, please, just leave. Anyway, then around ten o'clock, there was a like burning um, armed uh, personnel carrier APC rumbling, rattling into the square from nowhere, just alone APC. Chased by protesters. And you say burning. It was on fire. Yes, mm-hmm. it nearly ran me over. It was really close because mm-hmm. I was busy carrying, you know, gathering empty beer bottles and going around the square, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was chased by the troops. You can find footage, actually, the actual footage of that burning APC. It's a famous incident. Anyway, and then so we we could feel that it was getting close, huh? Uh, then we started to. Uh, to get more serious, uh, then that APC just—I don't know what happened because I just dashed back to our tent and started to get people more organized and started to teach people how to, you know, get a handkerchief or something or piece of cloth to, you know, because we we're preparing for tear gas. Then the bullets started to fly. Now we, we didn't even—we couldn't even stand up. It's that close flying overhead like that and we heard like boom 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 all this noise it's like firecrackers it's nothing like the noise of the bullets uh flying in the propaganda war movies uh, and it, it's really weird the sound never heard of that kind of sound before it sound sounded more like firecrackers it's really like spring festival new year uh and um then uh, we we sat together like no more than 2,000 students in front of the monument to people's heroes, in front of the, at the bottom of the stairs, because there are all these layers of stairs, right? Uh, on top of the stairs will be the four hunger strikers, the last four hunger strikers led by Liu Xiaobo. Uh, they're the last ones who staged to boost the morale. So they staged the him and two scholars, uh, uh, and the Taiwanese pop singer, Four of them, they call, they're called like the four gentlemen of Tiananmen or something. They staged the hunger strike right to the massacre. So they, their tent was on top of the stairs and the st- student leaders as well. And we're at the bottom of the stairs, just huddled together. 
But it's not like we're really scared or anything. We're just singing songs, telling jokes, and describing because we're hungry too. Describing the best food we ate, describing each dish. Very typical Chinese. There, sang a lot of songs. I really ran out of the songs I knew,、um, and telling jokes, and, and、uh, it was very festive、uh, when the bullets were flying over our head, our heads. And it was a funny thing. We're like, "Oh, rubber bullets! Don't worry about it." But the, yeah, but we still don't want to be hit by rubber bullets. Just sit down, sit down, okay? Then we started notice the、uh, the sparks of the monument. The, the monument is made of granite. So hang on a minute, rubber bullets, sparks. Oh, it's kind of strange, right? And then very quickly, some students carried. Uh, 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 some guns back and saying they confiscated from the soldiers. The soldiers were shooting at people. Then I remember one student showed us a blood-stained shirt they got from a victim, and started to describing describe they were killing along the Avenue of Eternal Peace along Chang'an Jie. Still to this day, when I look at the map of Tiananmen Massacre,、uh, more than thirty spots,、uh, killing sites. Along, like the ten-mile stretch of the Avenue of Eternal Peace, ironically,、um, and of course there were killings、uh, inside Tiananmen Square as well. Contrary to the Chinese government's argument, oh no, no killing inside Tiananmen Square. But what kind of argument is that? It doesn't matter where people are killed,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, the matter that there are only three people are killed. Inside the square, but thousands of other people were killed outside the square.、Mm. But still, a massacre is a massacre.、Mm. It's just this stupid, so stupid logic、mm. they've been brainwashing people with, and people really bought it too, including a lot of journalists. But anyway, so they after that, then there were all these speeches going on. There was the establishment of a、uh, uh, university of democracy. Uh, and、uh, it's like a lot of raucous stuff going on. I got a bit bored. And Chai Ling,、uh, a female leader, came. She was touring around, walking around, giving speeches, trying to okay, persuade us. Okay, this is all that same night, the night of the same third. Same night, of course.、Uh, yeah, establishment of a、night. university of democracy. Yeah, within those few hours, because they switched off all the lights. It was all dark and. Some students、uh, ha- had to burn some rubble from the tents, whatever wooden sticks, to make bonfires、mm-hmm. so we could see.、Mm-hmm. We're talking about the entire square; it's just、mm-hmm. black, dark,、mm-hmm. right?、Uh, except for the loudspeakers from the government. And even this amidst this,、voice. you were still holding workshops and discussing politics, and yeah,、uh-huh. yeah. It's a long night. Yeah, it's dark, and what are you going to do?、Mm-hmm. I mean, crying. Nobody was crying. Nobody was scared. But anyway, Chailin was going around giving speeches. I remember she was standing on the little some box. She's a tiny person, with this very sensationalist voice,、um, talking about, "Oh, we're like a bunch of ants on top of a hill. There's a fire at the bottom of the、uh, the hill. the The only way for the ants to survive is to." Huddle together to make an ant ball, roll down the hill. The ants outside will be burned to death. The ants, in, ants inside will survive and carry on the democracy、uh, movement or the, the revolution or something. And I was really angry when I heard that because we happened to be sitting on the outside rim of the group. And I was, I, I started booing her. I said, "Which ants will die then?" Yeah. 
Hey, who are the outside ants? Mm. Are, are yourself going to die? Mm. Or just us? Mm. W- what do you mean there? So I started lead other students to boo her. Then she left, and she because she was there are two factions. One faction was the ones who wanted to stay, even though I wanted to stay to fight. But I really didn't like her sensationalist speech. It was like hypocrite. Um, the others, the other side, you know, wanted to leave, right? The other faction wanted to leave, but did not dare to say so. And there, at some point, there were some votes, yes or no, uh, w- which group has has the louder voice. I didn't even join that because because I like I was bored with all that stuff and going on and on and on. This person giving a speech, that person giving a speech. I don't know who's who, saying what, like what, like it's for for me. I just thought. Hey, like nobody's talking about how how we're going to hold out like this, right? We're just like waiting to die or what? But anyway, so at some point, I needed to pee. The reason why I'm mentioning this is not because I wanted people to know about my toilet habit. Uh, for a long time, think about it. Millions of people inside the square. Where do those people go to toilets, right? They're far away. This is the ingenious construction of Tiananmen Square. Uh, that's how I discovered. They designed it that way. They designed public makeshift toilets. Uh, so the sewage system was all connected underneath the square. So during the whole movement, there were makeshift public toilets. They just put tarpaulin, whatever, canvas, some, mm-hmm, some cloth mm-hmm, around mm-hmm. an area. Because this area, if you lifted up the manholes, they're actually toilets. Mm-hmm. They're designed that way, a series of manholes, like a rectangular shape too, like the Chinese squat toilets. But even so, for me to walk to those sites was too dangerous because then it's darkness and the right. bullets flying right, and right. tanks roaming. Um, so I, I thought, oh God, you know. So I thought, okay, I'll just go into an empty tent, right? Nobody's there. But I, the reason why I mentioned this is very important. I went to a lot of tents, desperate to pee, right? But I couldn't find an empty tent. There are always people there, sleeping or chatting or whatever. We're talking about just less than twenty minutes before tanks flattened those tents, right? And there's nobody warning them because we did not know. Right. They were going to flatten the tents right. and when they're going to ambush us, right? Mm-hmm. So this detail is very important. So I bet a lot of people got crushed to death that way. Um, so I went to the Great Hall of People because it's like empty space. Dark there, right? Oh, okay, I can pee now. And then I saw the troops coming out from underground. It's a secret exit from below the stairs in front of the Great Hall of the People, dashing out, wearing f- arm to teeth, to the teeth, wearing helmet, uh, carrying automatic weapons, and all the guns had bayonets attached mm-hmm. to them. That was really vicious. Mm-hmm. Thought, this is it. I'm going to be killed. They didn't even have to shoot me because I was so close. They could have just stabbed me with the bandits, right? So I dashed back and, and then, you know, announcing the news. Oh, they're coming, they're coming, the troops are coming. Because there were like hundreds and hundreds of them like dashing up very fast from this hole on the ground. Secret exit. Anyway, then 
then people are saying, where are they? Because I thought they were going to chase me, right? I was dashing back, run for life. Um, then we couldn't find them. Then we saw, because the whole square was dark, there were street lights near the edge of the square. We could see the street lights were shining on Mao Zedong's mausoleum. We saw the reflection of the faint street lights, the reflection of the bayonets and the helmets behind the trees. That was really creepy, incredibly creepy. We're talking about like thousands of troops. You see the little reflection of their bayonets and helmets. So they were hiding there, about to ambush us. And very quickly, they turned on the lights all of a sudden. There was this high-pitched voice in the loudspeakers telling us to leave, blah, 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 blah. Then the tanks, just like the tanks roamed in from all directions, like very, very deafening noise, the noises, the noise I've ever heard in my life. On their way, I could see them because I was facing Tiananmen, facing north. Tiananmen itself faces faces south. I could see all these tanks always coming from all three directions, right? West, east, and north, coming closer and closer. Very, very noisy. Okay, the Forbidden City is to the north. Have yes, I got that right? yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm f- so Tiananmen itself faces south. But I'm standing in the monument, near the monument, looking at Tiananmen. So I'm looking looking north. We're mm-hmm. looking north. So the tanks were coming from the north, the west, and the east. Mm-hmm. We're at the south, the south end of the square, right? Where the, where the Mount Mausoleum is. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, we're not at the mausoleum. Right. Mausoleum is the south, yeah. but we're at the monument. Monument, then... You know. Gotcha. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's for radio it's really hard to describe yes, yes, the yes, map. Yes, yes. Um the tanks rushing at such a high speed, I saw them flattening every tent on its their way and also smashing the uh, goddess of democracy. Mm-hmm. Goddess democracy just collapsed. Mm-hmm. Not that close to us, you know, like a few hundred yards away. And then they stopped. Then we could see soldiers were behind them. This is like warfare. That's the usual warfare tactic. The foot soldiers were behind the tanks, right? The tanks were will clear the way and the soldiers will come out, right? And it's they stopped. Then there was this group of commando looking commando looking highly fully armed uh, uh, group of soldiers dashing in very fast. Uh, just one team. Uh, of course, wearing helmets, carrying automatic weapons, possibly AK-47, and with bayonets attached, dashed in, then up the stairs uh, to the top of the stairs of the monument. Uh, then they shot. They occupied all the strate- strategic corners and spots. They shot the speakers, the students' uh, radio station, the speakers, Boom, 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 and very, very efficient, very fast. And then they turned around and pointed their guns at us, but without doing anything, right? So there was like kind of a very short standstill. And then somebody announced that Liu Xiaobo and uh, those four fungal strikers, they decided to send the Taiwanese pop singer Hou De Jian to get 
to talk to the colonel. I think you know the 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 officer in charge of the troops, and he. I remember he was in the ambulance and going to the north end of the uh, square, and the ambulance passed me. And when when it was him, uh, very shortly he came back and saying, "Okay, the sh- troops allow us to leave peacefully." Uh, you know, if we don't resist. So by then, the students, nobody was resisting, even me, right? I said, there's no point. Like, with this, I have a dagger. I'm at home, I'm going to fight, hey? So then we started to move, and I was on the western end of the crowd. They opened up the tanks, opened up a gap at the southeastern corner of the square. So me on the western end of the crowd. So I ended up being among the last to leave. Mm-hmm. So at the mm-hmm. beginning, it was all like peaceful. They showed it on national TV. And they said, we let the students leave peacefully. That was only for like a two or three minutes, mm-hmm. less than that. Mm-hmm. And students were still holding flags and singing international and flashing the V sign. Um, then very quickly... Uh, it was a stampede because they started to beat off people uh, with huge wooden sticks. The soldiers started to emerge, come out from behind the tanks holding iron bars. I remember really long, big wooden sticks, but not using guns though. Um, and just, you know, I, I could hear because I'm a very small person. I was lifted up in the stampede. I had, by then, had already lost my socks and shoes. I could feel my glasses being smashed on my face because of, it's so crowded, it was so packed. I could barely breathe. Uh, I could not control my movement because I was, uh, both feet were off the ground, being moved by the stampede. Uh, I could only see the silhouettes of people's shadows, people above me, because I'm, sh- I'm short. Uh, I could only hear the thoughts, the, the the noise of human flesh being beaten up. It's very creepy. That noise is so creepy. I'll never forget. Without seeing them being beaten up, it, it's so creepy. Um, I think that was the time when I wished there was God. <laughs> I wish there's God. Where is mommy? Uh, anyway, then I very quickly I got squeezed out of the stampede because everybody wanted to move in to avoid being beaten up, right? Because it's the crowds, the students outside, the ants outside were beaten up. So I got squeezed out and I, uh, I, I stumbled and I fell on my, my all fours too on the ground. I was like in such a daze. Everything was like slow motion, like in the dream. It's very weird. Then um, I remember I looked up in the panic, and I looked up, I saw this huge silhouette of this soldier holding a very big stick. And he was cursing me very loudly. He was kicking me. Uh, I was trying to get up, right? And uh, he was cursing me with really, really dirty swear words, I remember, you know, involving your mother and sex. Anyway, and uh, then, then I remember the moment his big stick was about to land on my head. I thought, this is it. He's going to smash my head. With that force, such a big stick. But miraculously, despite his loud cursing, 
the moment the stick landed on my head, he just quickly grazed it. Mm-hmm. He didn't mean to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Other students were not that lucky. Mm-hmm. I, I saw them with bleeding heads and they were screaming and crying. And then, then I stumbled back to the, the group, the stampede, and I remember I stumbled over several bodies and the bodies were not moving. Who knows what happened to them? Maybe they're in a the coma, they're already dead or whatever. Then I got caught in the stampede. I couldn't move again. And I gradually I was squeezed towards a tank. And so I was squeezed between the stampede, the crowds, the human crowds, and the tank. I could not move. I could not breathe. I could, I could feel like the hard, you know, the parts of the steel, like, oh, getting to my belly and my ribs. It was very uncomfortable. And I was really desperate. So without thinking, I climbed up the tank. I climbed up the tank uh, on all fours because trained, kind of trained, familiar with battlefield tactics from years of watching propaganda war movies. Uh-huh. Got to stay low in the war. Yes. And for a tank, go close. Go close. It's closer, is safer. Uh, I've seen battles like that, like soldiers if they want to throw a hand grenade mm-hmm. and want to kill the soldier inside the tank, they go straight to the tank itself. That's what I did. Of course, I wasn't thinking about that, but it's just I'm talking about the instinct. So I was on my fours and t- crawling on the treads, and I saw the soldier. The lid was open. I saw the soldier's face. He was wearing a helmet. He was aiming. He was holding a machine gun, aiming down at the crowds. But he was on my way. So I really literally had to crawl beneath the barrel of his machine gun. Crawling through, I don't know if he saw me or he just pretended he didn't see me or he was too busy or whatever. And I, that's how I climbed over to the other side of the tank and I jumped off. And then that's how I got out of that stampede. Then I was able to walk, uh, you know, free. Uh, at that time, then I saw other students from my university and one guy was one of the leaders he had his head bleeding he was wearing a bed sheet white bed sheet made into a poncho the night be- a few hours before i was asking him what he was writing he was writing ferociously on the poncho i said what are you writing he said i'm writing revolutionary rock and roll come in um and he's a very charismatic kid good looking tall tall guy then he was like a, with his like blood streaming down his face and you know on his poncho. He was in a, like in the days. I said, "Hey, hey, how are you? How they go? You know, are you okay?" And he said, "I lost my Nike shoes." I said, "What? I lost my Nike shoes. I gotta go back and look for them." I said, "You crazy? You crazy?" And he did. He turned around. I mean, like in that moment, I really didn't. I didn't have time to take care of him. I said, whatever, right? And then a few minutes later, he emerged. He found his Nike shoes. Uh-huh. High top Nike shoes. Back mm-hmm. then, that was like having a Mercedes Benz. It's very expensive. And uh, the image is so amazing. The image, he, he had the shoes uh, strung along his neck mm-hmm. on, on e- either side of the, uh, both sides of the shoulders, uh, he tied the shoes with a shoestring 
and he emerged like that. Mm. And I was like, wow, what an image, right? Then we saw a foreign TV crew. They're trying to interview people. And I walked over because the students couldn't speak English. And I, and I said, you know, you, you need translation. And then this guy, the Nike shoe guy, uh, his surname is Zhao, one of the three leaders. By the way, there are three leaders in my university. I'm the only woman. I'm, I was the youngest. I was the only freshman. The other two were seniors. Anyway, so, and he started talking. His English is pretty good, but he kept stumbling, uh, uh, stuttering. And I got impatient. So I started to take over. Cause he, and he said something, Ooh, uh, I'm very disappointed. And I was like, disappointed you got beaten up? Hello. I mean, I didn't say that. And I say, I'm angry. Like, because the reporter said, how do you feel? I said, how am I feeling? I'm angry. And I said, many students were killed, blah, 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 blah. And at that moment, I knew it would be very dangerous because we, we, we knew, like, if the authorities get hold of the tapes, I, 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 that would be the end of me. I knew it, but I just thought it was very important to tell the world about what's happening here. Uh, that was really, I really felt that moment when the light was on me. What I could see was the silhouette of the reporter's fuzzy hair. Uh, I couldn't see her face clearly because it was the glaring light this was in my CNN eyes. You were it was to? CNN, but I did not even have time to ask her mm. where she's from. Uh, and immediately after the interview, I said, you better go. Go and hide your camera, hide your uh, uh, tapes and go. And they just like uh, uh, scuttled off. Uh, they managed to get the tapes uh, into Hong Kong and they aired it uh, in the summer. Um, a German professor who had been went back who had gone back to West Germany then then later on told uh, returned to Beijing and told me she saw me on CNN uh -huh. I said what is that because we only knew about ABC right. BBC mm -hmm. and CBS right. CNN, CNN was, was really new, new. Back then. Yeah. that's right and a teacher at my university who taped it he said he erased it in order to protect me all right so what happened to you so anyway so what happened to me so just to wrap it up what happened that morning, uh, it was a light, light drizzle, and I thought, oh, God, sky was, is crying. And the Beijing residents had been waiting for us there the whole night. They're standing there. Then they said, take off your bandana, and you don't want to look like students. They're shooting students. And go into small lanes. So we got into hutongs, those little lanes. And a lot of us uh, were barefoot. So then the residents, they emerged from their homes and, you know, gave us shoes. And I, I got a hold of a pair of <laughs> male shoes, like wearing two boats. Um, then I decided, I said, this is not right. If a group of us, like 20 of us, we cannot just like go like this. Who knows? They're, they're, if they're looking for students to shoot, better don't do this. And I was right. So I said, why not you guys stay here? So the Beijing residents say, well, just stay in our homes, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll accommodate you. Uh, then I asked another leader to volunteer to go with me. So two of us, we walked all the way back because no, no vehicles would dare to take us anymore. And then we were, they were all panicking anyway. They were all confused. So we ended up walking most of the way back to the campus and called an ambulance 
took the ambulance back, but then again, the main intersections were blocked. There were major battles going on, lots of killings still, gunfights, gunshots being heard everywhere. So we ended up taking a detour through the outskirts and the fields, the wheat fields and birch tree groves. And, and, and there, that was the time when I started to cry. I because I thought, oh my God, my friends, they could be killed already. And also, I just I just escaped there. And now I'm going back there. I could be killed this time. I started to cry. Um, not because I was scared, but it was so emotional, right? Um, then um, when we were going through those fields, we saw a lot of military trucks. Uh, not trucks, actually, smaller units with very high-tech gear I had never seen because I, I like studying military stuff and I used to even buy those magazines and weapons I had never seen such advanced gear uh, like antenna very fancy looking antennas and fancy looking vehicles and strange shaped stuff uh, it was pretty scary it was like full-on warfare but anyway so without the cell phones I don't remember how we managed to well, of course, I remember the address. So we managed to go back to the courtyard where the residents were hiding um, the students. We got them. We got them. Got all of them back on the ambulance. Went back. I'm proud to say I contributed to the zero death toll of my university. I, I don't usually publicly say that. It's like, oh, I'm a hero. But I, so I'm really proud to, to say that. Yes. In the ambulance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, after that, uh, all of the students, most of the students left, went back to their home provinces or homes, and the campus was empty. And I decided to stay on because people started panicking and started to have to line up for food, the essentials, and people were saying rumors like, uh, you know, the it's a civil war, uh, which it which it was anyway. And every night, day and night, there were lots of tanks and military trucks going past the campus, right, the main drag. And I remember I was in an empty dormitory all by myself, um, crying my eyes out. I was really confused. I was feeling sad. I did not know. I wanted to do something, but I did not know what to do. Uh, just like every night was just all oh, these tanks, really, really noisy, going on and on and on all night long. And I heard gunshots, of course, and uh, the gunshots killed one of the students in the neighboring campus of the Beijing Broadcasting Institute. It's a full, uh, it's a senior. Okay, and this is the, the day after or a couple of days a after? A few days after, few days because after. the students were really brave. They were hiding uh, in the fields along the main route where the military trucks and the tanks were going into Beijing. Mm-hmm. They threw a, cocktail, a monitor of cocktails and mm-hmm. rocks mm-hmm. at the tanks, mm-hmm. and of course, they they ended up being massacred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the boyfriend I was in love with, he's such a jerk. Uh, he he was worried because they knew they would do something, crack down on the newspaper. They're facing closure, so they he was worried the police would come to his apartment. Selfishly. He went into hiding, and he asked me to mind his apartment, ah, knowing oh I was one of the leaders, uh, and sh- I was in more danger. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew me because I was the one who got the ambulance, who came back with mm-hmm. the ambulance, and everybody, mm-hmm. 
remember like that girl with very short hair wearing the red band not red bandana I wasn't wearing and dressed in black and got hold of the ambulance arguing with the professors because the clinic the uh, the university clinic the ambulance whoever is in charge of the ambulance said no 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 you can't just like get us to drive the ambulance you have to get uh, a letter some some signature from the professor from so and so i said well, excuse me people are dying get, like you got to get us the ambulance now so there was end up like uh, the deputy president of the university one of the somebody high up some professor came with us in the ambulance so everybody knew who, who I was, and then, then of course, the, like uh, they were looking for me uh, to to arrest me too. Um, but anyway, so that was that. Looking back, it's kind of scary. And back then, I didn't. All right. So what happened to your life after that? You didn't. I suppose that was the end of your relationship well, the, with the, the boyfriend. The, 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 the guy ended up going to West Germany. Uh, Which that guy? was the end of the, 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 the avant-garde artist, yeah. uh, you know, the jerk. He went to West Germany, and uh, then uh, the following the end the the re, the, re, the new semester after the summer, because for the whole summer I stayed in Beijing. And I, I, I had to go, I went to Peking University quietly, you know, went to see the sites where the major protests were. It was all empty and quiet as if nothing happened. Mm -hmm. But I really intentionally stayed in Beijing. I made one trip back to Chengdu to see my grandpa because I thought, oh, he's old. If the civil war goes on, I don't know, maybe this is my last time to see him. Um, well, you say civil war. There was fear that the security forces could could actually. It's not fear. It was civil war because, it, which is true, and some troops, they refused to go in, and and uh, they uh, the the officers, some officers, they refused right. to kill students. Right. And there were there were like skirmishes. There were like. Uh, conflicts between the troops mm -hmm. it, it was really but just for a matter of, of days and yeah 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 not, not full-on yeah. like warfare right among the troops of yeah. course but you know the killings carried on for days yeah and now of course we did not know the killings carried on elsewhere too and well, you know, elsewhere meaning you know, like in Chengdu right that we know but right. I'm pretty yeah. sure in other places mm -hmm. too mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also this sweeping mass arrests of right. people. Yes, yes, yes. In the weeks and months that okay, followed. Okay, but, but you were not arrested. I slept in. I was in my dormitory when I when they came to arrest me. I was so sound asleep because I was really tired. I must I'm a good sleeper. They bang on the door. And later on the political supervisor said, "Oh, where are you?" "Oh, yesterday afternoon." I said, "I was in the dormitory." Is were you in the dormitory at such and such time? He said, yeah. I said, what were you doing? Well, you know, the, the security guards, you know, uh, accompanied the cops and came to arrest you. Where were you? I said, I was asleep. I didn't hear anything. Uh -huh. So they went, they went around and got somebody else because they had to complete, complete this quota. Right. Mm -hmm. How many number, uh, then, you know, the number of students they got to arrest mm -hmm. per university mm -hmm. then every campus they set up this little wooden box it looks like a mailbox with this little slot it, it says reporting box mm -hmm. encouraging mm -hmm. people to to turn people in mm -hmm. which didn't happen in my university mm -hmm. but anyway and later on in the fall i met an australian journalist 
who was studying at my campus fell in love with him when and uh, he started to to show me like press releases from Amnesty International. That's how I got to know about Amnesty International and uh, newspaper clippings, foreign press. And I started to, you know, know what was really happening, right? The news coverage. Um, then, uh, but by then I, I, I just knew, I just couldn't live in China f anymore. It's not because I was scared, but I just like, I could, could not see my f place. It's not, I felt ashamed of being in China. And I felt really sad. I wanted to do something about it. And um, and the first thing was, you know, I really needed to be out. But then again, it's just like even dating the guy, it's not the reason why I dated him. But dating the guy was just so difficult. We, we couldn't be seen in public at all. So we had to literally cycle for hours to a joint venture hotel or foreign hotel to have a coffee in the coffee shop there. Uh, pretending to be tourists or something, or I pretending to be Hong Kong tourists. Okay, or this may seem sound like a naive question, but mm -hmm. why? Why what? Why did you have to keep your relationship with him a secret? As I said, uh, uh, they were cracking down. It was a anti-six evil campaign. Namely, they were cracking down on prostitution, gambling, just another excuse mm -hmm. on cracking down mm -hmm. on people, mm -hmm. arrest mm -hmm. more people. Mm -hmm. I was already a very well-known leader mm -hmm. in my university. Mm -hmm. And then there I was dating a foreign journalist. Right, 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 kidding right. me? Yeah, 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 and he yeah. was working part-time at the embassy. Mm -hmm. It's like all the taboos I was touching. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, there's no way we could be seen in public together. And for me to go into his foreign student's building, I had to literally sign my name, signing the arrival time, um, and I have to put my student ID card there. I got into huge arguments with them and blah, blah, blah. It's just like not worth it. And I was really, it was really difficult for us. And so eventually you went into exile to Australia. So he moved back. He couldn't find, you know, as a journalist, really hard. I mean, because the martial law was still going on for months. Mm -hmm. And later on, it was really hard for a foreign journalist to uh, to freelance. Uh, he was offered a job at the embassy he didn't want to take. So he decided to go back to Sydney to set up his own publishing company, which he did successfully too. And um, at that time, I already got a job with uh, an American handicrafts firm as the artistic director. And the boss wanted to send me to Japan to work. So, you know, like, I really liked that way because I didn't want to marry him. I mean, I don't believe in marriages anyway. And I I wanted to be with him, but I didn't want to, like, to be seen as, oh, I married him for his passport. It's not the case. And so I had to give up my job, not going to Japan. And he said, oh, please come. I miss you, this and that. And I was really in love with him. I saw him as the symbol of Western press, democracy, all that stuff when my first time to date a foreigner. It was fun, you know, like uh, hang out with other young diplomats and journalists. And some of them I'm still in touch today. Some of them became top diplomat. And uh, you're talking about consul general, that level. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pulitzer winning New York Times correspondent. I'm still in touch with them. And it's a young gang. Uh, it's really good fun. And going around underground bars, too. 
after the massacre when the martial law was still on. In Beijing. Yes, very mm. romantic. It was really like wartime romance. Mm. So anyway, so then he, I, I really wanted to be with him. But in order to be married in China, if you're doing my bachelor's degree, you are really have to be a bachelor. Uh, so I had to drop out of university. And I figured in Australia, they don't care about that. So they advised me, so don't, you don't have to marry him, but just you can get a visa as his fiance. That's what I did. And then I went there and I studied history and politics. In and Australia? In Australia, because I wanted to study democracy. Mm -hmm. And later on, he encouraged me. He said, you know, you look good on TV. I was so vain. I said, oh, TV. And I, plus, I really admire the journalists I, I translated for. I just never thought I would be able to do it. Uh, then he said, yes, you can do it. Um, so I transferred my major. I changed my major and transferred to another university, which has the best J school in Australia, University of Technology, Sydney. And I enrolled in journalism. All right, but you uh, eventually began working for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation? Yes, I was yeah. recruited even before I finished my first year mm -hmm. in journalism. And uh, my professors were really supportive of me. And they said, don't worry about finishing of your degree. You can credit part of your work. Just send us some cassettes of your radio programs. Because I was sent to Perth, Western Australia. My university is in Sydney. Mm -hmm. That's how. I, and then I went to another university in, in Perth doing stories on racism, racism on Aboriginal people. Mm -hmm. I broke stories, and you know, like one of the stories about the youth crime, the p police brutality on Aboriginal youth. Mm -hmm. That led the, Am the Amnesty International send a team into that desert wow. town to investigate. Very good. Very good. Very but by good. then I was really depressed and confused, and I really missed home. I had been, not really missed home, but I really missed China. My biggest dream was to become a forest correspondent for an international Western media outlet to cover China, to mm -hmm. be stationed in China mm -hmm. as a foreign correspondent, like those correspondents I met in Tiananmen. Then the ABC was so bureaucratic, uh, I just couldn't wait anymore. So because I had passed through Hong Kong on my way ABC to... ABC Australian Broadcasting yes. Corporation. So on the way back to China, I passed through Hong Kong. I fell in love with it. And I knew some Australian journalists in Hong Kong. They say, yeah, just just start looking for jobs in Beijing and Hong Kong. And then I realized I was offered jobs in China. And I realized the authorities would still treat me as Chinese and give my parents hell and, and monitor my every move so it, it will be easier to be based in Hong Kong even though I didn't have a job lined up so I just went to Hong Kong without a job lined but up. But still British Hong Kong at this, to yes, at this time. Yes, in 97. British Early in 97 I landed in Hong Kong because I really wanted to be in Hong Kong. So to just witness. before the transition to yeah, Chinese the reason That's the yeah. reason. I took a year off without pay in Australia and uh, from the ABC so I just took a bag and a suitcase, no job lined up and um, then just went to Hong Kong, crashed on the foreign correspondent's couch, and I got offered jobs. The first job was BBC, making a documentary uh, about the handover. And German TV, I just like work, you uh -huh. know, just kept flowing in because uh -huh. it was very rare to have a mainland Chinese reporter who broadcasts and uh, writes in English. That's what I did. And so I was in high demand. Uh, I only planned to stay in Bay, uh, no, Hong Kong for a year. I ended up staying there for almost nine years. Oh, and yeah. I worked for CNN International. 
Hong Kong Standard, and I ended up winning a bunch of awards and blah blah blah. And, and then I was offered a fellowship at uh, Princeton University. Uh-huh. Uh, 13 years ago. Uh, at that time, I was losing hope for Hong Kong. Hong Kong was going down. I could tell Hong, Hong Kong was going, going down. Going down. Going down, In yeah. terms of uh, con- contract, con- contraction of press freedom and so on under Chinese everything, rule. Everything, everything, everything was just being turned into another Chinese city. Mm-hmm. I saw it coming. Mm-hmm. So I, I really, I, I, I was sick of it. Oh, it just, and also, my rule of thumb, I really don't want to stay in one city for that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, that already broke my record. Because mm-hmm. previously in other cities, it's no more than three years. Beijing, three years, no more than two and a half years. Sydney, two and a half years. Perth, two and a half years. I wanted to keep moving as All a right, journalist, so you right? you wound up at Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, from there, New York City. Yes. And I became a full-time mom. <laughs> how long have you been here now? 12 years, almost mm-hmm. 13 years. Uh-huh. And the best thing I've done is my daughter. Do you want to introduce her? Oh, it's okay. She, 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 she's anxious to go shopping. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Yeah. Uh, that's the best thing I've done, but I didn't want to go back to journalism, largely because of her, because, you know, it's just too hard. And also, I really saw the limitation of journalism. Uh, I really got depressed and confused, especially after I covered the AIDS crisis, drug trade at the Golden Triangle uh, and the crimes. Uh, the Golden Triangle. The Golden Triangle, Burma, Thailand, and Chinese Yunnan. Right. I went there to cover all that stuff, illegal casinos. I ended up interviewing a bunch of Burmese refugees, wow. women who were trafficked there. Wait, in Burma or in, in Thailand? Both, Burma and China. Wow. And uh, I... I did a lot of stories there. I took photos. and In uh, China, in Yunnan province? As I said, yes, yeah. in Yunnan and Burma. And uh, the, uh, I was operating by myself, undercover, pretending to be a tourist with all my gear in a backpack, wow. pretending to be a backpacker. Wow. This I had was my when? laptop, 2005, wow. just before I came here. Hmm. Um, that's the funny thing. I really saw the end of journalism there uh, because I it was heartbreaking to me to photograph and interview 11-year-old heroin traders, heroin dealers who were trafficked, who were sold, the kids who were sold from Burma, and interviewing prostitutes, pregnant prostitutes who were selling their bodies for 80 cents per session, oh, oh uh, $1 a session, and snorting, snorting heroin in front of me. Okay, and this uh, was where? As I said, Yunnan. In Yunnan. Yunnan. On the border, <coughs> bordering <coughs> Burma, <coughs> Golden Triangle, Xiang State. <coughs> it's <coughs> not even under the control of the hometown government. Right, right, right. Um, that really broke me. I mean, interviewing women who were sold to marry old Chinese peasants, uh, then being kicked out after the peasant died, and then they didn't have any passports or ID card, and they ended up being stuck on the border. Right, so these are refugees drugs. from the war in Burma who came Not to settled in China. Not refugees, women who were trafficked, yeah, as I said. That really broke me, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was hopeless. I gave them some cash, and I realized they would just use the cash to buy more heroin. I, I really, especially interviewing the young kids, the young girls, 11-year-old 
girls selling heroin in the streets and the prostitutes broke me. Uh, I saw the end of journalism. I could not help anybody I interviewed, despite all the The end of awards. journalism in terms of your professional career and your aspirations. Journalism itself. Yeah. Like, how, how far can you go? Sure, I won all these awards. For what? I felt like a imposter, or even parasite. Mm-hmm. I could not help anybody, even though, sure, I got the Amnesty International involved for the Aboriginal youth, police brutality. They didn't do anything. I really have to go. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for your patience, Mimi. We greatly appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, thank you for um, sharing your memories with us, Rose Tang. I really wanted to talk more about um, uh, your contemporary uh, analysis of uh, what's happening in China and the world situation. And Maybe another session. But we'll have to take that yeah, uh, another session. into, into the, the next podcast. So I hope that you'll come Ooh. back. Maybe some so maybe sometime over the summer, and we can we can do part two. But this has been really fascinating. <laughs> the sequel. I hope the sequel, the sequel would exactly, work. exactly, and talk more about the uh, the contemporary situation and uh, and your political analysis of the world. Um, but as I I think as an historical document, um, I'm really uh, I'm very honored that you've been able to uh, to share these memories with us. I think what we what we did today is going to be valuable. I certainly do hope so. Thank you so much, Bill, for continuing uh, on your crusade, personal cr- crusade, and participating in all sorts of uh, uh, protests and rallies. Well, and my only crusade, I mean, you say that, you know, it, you, you feel that journalism is dead. And sometimes I kind of feel that way, too, especially this is opening up a whole new conversation we don't have time for, but especially with the way... I think that, you know, the whole um, uh, trade and craft of journalism has been degraded by the digital revolution. But uh, it's like I, I'm kind of a one trick pony. I'm kind of autistic. All I know how to do is to just keep on, uh, you know, trying to bring facts and analysis to the world. And It's OK. I, I did not say journalism yes, is dead. Journalism right, no, I said for that. me, <laughs> journalism to me right. made its end because I I, I, I thought I I. I wanted to do more, yeah. something different, yeah. uh, and uh, I, I really felt reporting, covering some event, reporting, interviewing was not enough for me at all. That's why all these years I've been doing something different. I had a baby. I returned to visual art. I became a musician, and now I'm. Uh, I formed a bunch of bands. I curate concerts. Um, most of the. Uh, the main purpose of me doing music is to use music to mobilize people, to organize people, and to heal, to help people heal. Because mm-hmm. uh, in such trying times, uh, a lot of people are depressed and anxious and confused. And uh, the world has come to this point. If we do not connect more, if we do not link up our grassroots movements, Meaning, including everybody. Of course, journalists are important, uh, but we got to go beyond reporting, and which is what you've been doing too. You, report, you are way re- beyond being reporting and analysis. I hope that I'm, I'm marching uh, and protesting, informing people as well as um, inciting them. Exactly. <laughs> but that brings us to um, the uh, to the sequel. I hope that sometime over the summer that we can uh, resume this conversation over this podcast. Rose Tang, thank you so much for joining us. And this has been the Counter Vortex tonight with uh, Rose Tang and your usual ranter, 
Bill Weinberg. Check us out online at countervortex.org and rant on you next time. Thank you.